Good morning, Christ Central. Uh, my name is Peter, and I get to serve here as one of the pastors, and uh, so thankful for our church. We're going through a sermon series called the, uh, Following Jesus Through the Book of Luke, and as we follow Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, we've been reading about how he lived, what he taught, why he died, and even how he rose from the dead as we celebrated last weekend. And our aim has been to deepen our faith, hope, and love as we see him as more beautiful and as we follow him as Lord. Today's passage comes from Luke 18, and we'll be reading verses 18 through 30. And we'll be reading about uh, Jesus and the rich young ruler. Please hear God's holy and unchanging word. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who then can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus mentions money a whole lot. And out of the four uh, New Testament Gospels, Luke has the most to say about wealth. Our passage today shows us an encounter that Jesus had with a wealthy young ruler. And as we go through our story, we're going to see that how you handle your wealth has everything to do with following Jesus. Here's the outline that we're going to be following today. I'm going to apologize beforehand. It's not two points like the past couple sermons. It's four. I promise it won't be twice as long. Uh, number one, the blessing of wealth and the gospel. Number two, the obstacle of wealth to the gospel. Number three, the redemption of wealth through the gospel. And four, the promise for wealth in the gospel. First, the blessing of wealth and the gospel. Our story begins with a ruler approaching Jesus, and this ruler reveals a couple truths about wealth. First, he shows us that wealth is a blessing. Rulers are typically used to describe older religious leaders, like older Pharisees, but in Matthew's account of the same story, we're told that this ruler is actually a young ruler. And because he's a young ruler, he probably wasn't a religious ruler, but a civic leader. Verse 23 tells us that he was an extremely wealthy person. In first century Israel, there was a big divide between the rich and the poor. Nine out of ten persons lived under the poverty line. Poverty was very visible, especially because there was no middle class. There was either rich or poor, and most likely, you were probably poor. And in a culture of honor and shame, everything was about your social status 
and economic standing. Back then, wealth was based on the ownership of land. Land was controlled by a small group of wealthy families. These were uh, considered urban elites, and their wealth and status gave them influence in the spheres of politics and even public religion. This young ruler in Luke was probably an urban elite, a young, influential, wealthy leader in his community. He's the kind of person that every guy wanted to be and every girl wanted to marry. And all the wealth this man possessed was a blessing from God. The Bible says that all blessings are gifts from God. God is a blesser of all good gifts, including the gift of wealth. And in his sovereign will, God chose to bless this young ruler with a, healthy, uh, with a wealthy family, a healthy body, a sound intellect, a good education, and a, pri- a position of privilege and influence. Our wealth, as well as all of our resources, are all good things that God has given us. And because of that, we shouldn't be skeptical or even demonize the wealth we possess. Just because someone's wealthy doesn't mean that they're sinful or greedy. Wealth is to be enjoyed and stewarded with gratitude. For some of us, we've worked hard to build our wealth. You studied diligently and you put in your time. For others of us, uh, wealth was given to you. And this probably applies more to our younger listeners where, where our parents will be able to give you wealth. In both circumstances, it's equally true that the wealth you worked hard for and the wealth you inherited are both blessings from the Lord that we're to enjoy and steward. God is the one who sovereignly ordained you to be born in this time, in this place, to your family with your abilities. The intelligence and energy you possess, the education you were provided, the skills, you work, the skills you've acquired, the job you perform, and the income you earn, all of these are blessings, and the source of all these blessings is the Lord. The rich young ruler shows us that wealth is a blessing from God, but second, the ruler shows us that neither a wealth of riches or a wealth of good works will give you true happiness. First, a wealth of riches will not give you true happiness. The ruler approaches Jesus and asks him, to how to inherit eternal life. You know, sometimes religious leaders ask Jesus um, and, and try to trick him into asking questions by, um, uh, by, getting to, by, by him getting to speak blasphemy. And, um, and this ruler, but this ruler wasn't trying to trick Jesus. He was trying to fill his empty heart. He was searching for happiness because he couldn't find it in his, in his wealth. Mark's version of this story tells us that the ruler urgently and earnestly Approach Jesus. Uh, chapter 10, verse 17 in Mark says, As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him. This rich, powerful ruler, desperately looking for happiness, kneels before a peasant teacher because no amount of wealth could fill his empty heart. Our story warns us that if you depend on, if you depend on money to be happy, you'll never find true happiness. Just like this ruler, you'll always be restlessly searching. The ruler rightly goes to Jesus, asking him how to find eternal life. And this question is what every person should be asking, because without the answer to this question, your life really is meaningless. Your life really is meaningless because you're only living for this moment, no matter how rich you are. But death comes to every person. 
And what happens after death is infinitely important if you believe what the Bible says, that your soul will never die. So the ruler rightly asks about eternal life because he was incredibly wealthy, yet still incredibly empty. And he was looking for true happiness because he couldn't find it in his wealth. Second, a wealth of good works will not lead to true happiness as well. The ruler asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Did you catch that? What must I do? Just like the ruler tried to find happiness by accumulating a wealth of, good, a wealth, uh, accumulating a wealth of riches, he tried to find happiness by accumulating a wealth of good works as well. What must I do? If you know the gospel, you know that you cannot do a single thing to save your own soul. But Jesus responds to this ruler anyway in verse 20. He says, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, murder, steal, bear false witness, and honor your father and mother. These are five of the ten commandments that all relate to how we're to relate to other people. And the ruler responds by saying in verse 21, all these I have kept from my youth. This would not have been a surprising response from a faithful Jew, but it doesn't make it a right response. It was an arrogant response. The ruler's response reveals that he cares a lot about the law. He was taught the law. He knew the law. He practiced the law. His whole life revolved around obeying the law. At least that's what he said. This ruler cared a lot about the law, but his view of the law wasn't too high. It was too low. He wrongly assesses that he has fulfilled the law of God. And this reminds us that a wealth of good works, no matter how good your works are, can never be good enough to lead to eternal life and true happiness. One of the most important questions that every person should ask is where do we find life that lasts? Where do we find true happiness? What really matters in this life? Because at the end of your life, when you feel death near, only a small number of things will matter. Your bank account won't matter. The size of your house won't matter. Your trips to exotic places won't matter. How well you provided for your children won't even matter. All of the things that money can buy won't matter. What will truly matter is lasting happiness lasting satisfaction, life that will last forever. All of us have a longing in our hearts that are deeper than what all the world's fortunes could fill. There's not enough money in the world to satisfy our hearts like only God can. Like the ruler, we can live a life pursuing a wealth of riches or wealth of good works, but in the end, we'll find that nothing in this world will give us true and lasting happiness. There's only one place, one person, where we can find true happiness and eternal life. And this is what truly matters. As Psalm 144.15 says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. So first we see the blessing of wealth in the gospel, but we also see, second, the obstacle of wealth to the gospel. From verses 22 to 25, Jesus' conversation with a rich young ruler, it takes a turn. And we discover that wealth can often be an obstacle to the gospel. 
In verses 22, we see Jesus' instruction, then the ruler's response in verse 23, and in 24 and 25, the lesson on wealth. First, Jesus' instruction. He instructs a rich young ruler to sell all of his wealth, and then he will have treasure in heaven. The immediate question this verse raises is, is Jesus teaching salvation by works? We know that the gospel says, no, we're not saved uh, by works, we're saved by faith. And what you do with your wealth will not save you. Because no matter how much of your wealth you give away, you cannot buy your way into heaven. So why does Jesus ask him this question? Jesus asked this question to expose the ruler's heart. The ruler was proud and relied on his wealth and in his works. And we cannot receive grace with a heart of faith when you come to Jesus with a heart of pride. When you come to Jesus to find grace, the only thing you can come to him with is your own need. Jesus also asked this question to teach his disciples a very important lesson on wealth. Wealth is dangerous and it's an obstacle to the gospel. Second, we see the ruler's response. The ruler heard these things. He became very sad, for he was extremely rich. The young ruler grieved when he heard Jesus' instruction to sell all of his possessions. Mark's version actually tells us that that the ruler's countenance fell, and he walked away. The ruler rejects Jesus' offer for eternal life because he loved his money more than he loved Jesus. Third, we see Jesus' lesson on wealth. After the ruler walks away, Jesus addresses his disciples. How difficult it is, he says, for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The camel was the largest animal in Palestine. And, um, and when Jesus says, I have a needle, there's a couple different interpretations. Many would say that the needle is an actual needle and that, of course, it'd be impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Others say that the eye of a needle is uh, used as a mer- metaphor for a very narrow opening. In fact, some, some claim that the eye of a needle was an actual gate, a specific gate in Jerusalem inside the main gate, where after the main gate was closed, uh, the, the, the inner gate, the eye of the needle would open, and the camel would not be able to pass through unless it stooped down and had its baggage removed. Whatever Jesus actually meant, it doesn't change his point. It's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Throughout scripture, God warns the rich about the dangers and temptations of their wealth. Proverbs 23, four says, do not toil to acquire wealth, be discerning enough to desist. Matthew 6.19 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, let me reiterate, there's absolutely nothing evil about wealth. And more importantly, no one is kept out of the kingdom of God because of their wealth, just as no one enters the kingdom of God because of their wealth. But Jesus warns his disciples, even though money isn't evil, it's dangerous. And it's dangerous because of sin in our hearts. For many of us, the sin in our hearts gives money incredible power to keep us and keep many from entering the kingdom of God. Money can often be an obstacle to the gospel. And there are at least a couple ways that money can do this. First, money distracts us. 
this rich ruler was so distracted with, with his wealth that he couldn't clearly see Christ and what Christ was offering. Money can be a distraction from what is truly important. Making money takes lots of time and attention. Starting a business often requires working uh, endless days and, and worrying all night. Getting a promotion usually means putting in sleepless nights. Investments demand countless hours of research. Making money takes lots of time and attention. And what do most of us do when we make money? We spend it, don't we? And spending money takes lots of time and attention too. Shopping for clothes, buying new homes, getting a bigger, better car, deciding which brand, which color, which model, which portfolio. Making money, keeping money, not losing money, borrowing money. All of this takes much of our time and attention. And oftentimes, it can be distracting. Many of us sacrifice what's truly important merely for more money. People neglect their families for money all the time. People compromise their integrity for money. People spend years in a profession they hate for money. People make foolish decisions for money. Money often distracts us from what is truly important. And we see that it's certainly distracted this ruler. Second, money disillusions us. And that's because money very powerfully represents so many different things to different people. For some of us, money represents our identity. It's where we find our worth. Having lots of money means that we've made it and that the sacrifices our parents have made were worth it. And without it, we'd be a failure. For others of us, money represents security. If something bad happens, having that extra money gives you protection because we want to provide safety and security for our family and it allows you to feel secure. But without it, you'd be in shambles. For some of us, money represents power. When you have large amounts of money, you, you feel powerful. Having money means that if you need something, you've got the power and ability to secure it and it gives you satisfaction. And without it, you feel weak and powerless. Whether it's status or comfort or any of these things, and a lot of these things are important things and even good things, but when we look to money to provide us these things, it disillusions us into believing that we actually have them. We're often disillusioned into believing that we actually have worth, security, power, comfort because we have money. Money may provide us with these things, temporarily, but it's an unreliable and unstable source. Money can't provide us what all of us truly and deeply desire. Money can be taken away from you in an instant. You can lose your job. The economy can crash. Emergencies can pile up. Your health and your ability to make money can be taken away. Conversely, the more money you have, the bigger your problems can actually be. Marriage issues, entitled children, bigger spending, bigger debt. Money often disillusions us into believing that we can have actually what we deeply desire, but it isn't real. It's a delusion. It was for this wealthy ruler, and he rejected Jesus. Jesus' problem with wealth is that it tends to displace God in the lives of wealthy people. And because of it, wealth is often an obstacle to the gospel. Third, the redemption of wealth through the gospel. 
We experience the redemption of wealth when we worship with our wealth. Instead of worshiping our wealth, we ought to worship with our wealth. If all of life is to be worship, then how we use our wealth ought to be worship as well. And one of the primary ways we worship with our wealth is to be generous with our wealth, especially to those in need. This is what redemption of wealth looks like, worshiping with our wealth, being generous, especially to those in need. In verse 22, we see that Jesus instructs the wealthy young ruler to give his wealth away to the poor. And throughout scripture, God instructs his people to care for those in need. In fact, there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible about God's care for the poor. God deeply cares for the poor, and one of the major ways God expresses his care for the poor is through the generosity of his people. If you're you're not poor, then guess what? God wants to bless the poor through your generosity. For most of us here, God has providentially placed you in a privileged position to be generous with some of your money. And for those of us who don't consider yourself wealthy, you might be wealthier than you think. If you don't have to worry about money, if you don't have to worry about what to eat or what to wear, if uh, you can eat out, if you can shop, if you can vacate, if you can rent all your homes, if you can invest, guess what? God has been generous enough to you so that you can also be generous, especially to those in need. Jesus instructs the wealthy young ruler to care for the poor because God deeply cares for the poor. When we care for the poor, we demonstrate the gospel with our beautiful deeds. And our wealth is redeemed when we use our wealth not only to serve ourselves and our own comfort, but to serve our church, our city, and especially the poor as well. And as we serve the poor, as we serve the marginalized and disadvantaged, by pursuing both mercy and justice, it means that when we pursue mercy, it means to help those who are hurting. To pursue justice means to to keep and prevent the hurt from happening in the first place. And as followers of Christ, we ought to pursue both justice and mercy with our time, talents, and even our treasures. And this is why we partner with uh, schools like Londontown Elementary School and agencies like WFCM and Grace Clinic. And I'd love to see more. But as important as it is to worship with our wealth, the point of our story isn't our wealth at all is it? The point of our story is about our worship. The young ruler approaches Jesus to find eternal life, and Jesus offered him a far-fulfilling, joyful, satisfying life of worship, but the ruler refused because he worshiped his wealth rather than worshiping Jesus. We ought to be regularly asking ourselves, what is it that we are worshiping? What is it that we are worshiping? Because left to ourselves, we worship things that temporarily and inadequately give us things like identity, security, control, power. Left to ourselves, we worship things that are not worthy of our worship, things which take from us and rob us and wreck us, things that are the very opposite of eternal life. So you might ask, who then can be saved as the crowds did in verse 26? Jesus says in the very next verse, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Whether we're rich or poor, moral or immoral, a churchgoer or pagan, left to ourselves, it is impossible for us to be saved. But praise God 
for the gospel. Because the good news of the gospel is that God does not leave us to ourselves. It's amazing what Mark's version of the same story tells us. As Jesus was speaking to the rich young ruler, Mark says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Everyone knows that Jesus was a loving person and scripture describes him as such all the time. But one commentator said that this explicit statement of Jesus' love towards a specific person is extremely rare in the Gospels. In the Gospel, we experience a love so rare, so precious, so steadfast that it changes everything. There's a story I love by a theologian named Kierkegaard. And it's about a king and a peasant, and this is how it goes. There was once a king of unmatched power and uncommon royalty. And this king fell in love with a peasant who lived in the poorest village of his vast kingdom. And so he had a problem. He didn't know how to approach her and win her heart because he wanted so badly to bring her into his world where she could live under his palace roof wear royal clothes, be lavish with priceless jewelry, wine and dine in luxury. But he had a dilemma. Would she truly love him? She might say she loved him. She might be enamored by his royal splendor. Or she might privately grieve for the life she felt forced to leave behind. She may go through the motions of loving him, but would she really, truly, deeply love him? Would she be happy the king wanted to win her heart, and he realized that he only had one choice. He had to become like her. Only then could she, could she see him simply for who he was. And so one night, while all his subjects were asleep, the king took off his royal clothes. He placed down his royal crown. He left his kingdom and his world to enter hers. He moved to the same village, dressed in the same clothes, ate the same food. He left all of his royal treasures so that he could treasure her. The gospel says that Jesus is the true rich young ruler. He took off his heavenly robes. He laid down his heavenly crown. He gave up all of his wealth and left all of his world in order to enter ours. He became one of us, dressed in our clothes, ate our food, and he died on our behalf. In order for God to look at you and love you, Jesus had to die on the cross where his father had to look away from him. He paid the penalty for our sins, died, and on the third day rose again from the dead so that those who place their trust and faith in him might have eternal life. When you realize how much your Savior gave you because he loves you, it moves your heart to love him. When you experience this kind of love, it will compel you to worship Jesus rather than worshiping your wealth. When you understand that Jesus is a true rich young ruler, it will change you from, and it will free you from asking how generous I have to be to how generous can I be. Friends, what we do with our money is a great indicator of what we worship and when we're generous, especially to the poor, it shows that we worship a Savior that's worth more than any earthly treasure. And the only way we can be joyfully generous as we do this is when we see and experience God's generosity to us in the gospel. So be generous with your resources, especially to those in need, 
Because as you do, you'll experience and live out the redemption of wealth through the gospel. Lastly and briefly, the promise for wealth in the gospel. Jesus promises an abundance of wealth in the gospel for those who follow him. Peter says to Jesus, see, we have left our homes and followed you. To which Jesus promises that you'll receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus promises an abundance of wealth in the gospel for those who follow him. But this promise doesn't mean that you'll necessarily possess wealth in this life. In fact, Jesus promises that if you follow him, you'll have trials and tribulations in this life. That you'll suffer and and have hardship in this life. In fact, Jesus himself in this life, he didn't have a place to lay his head. And in fact, the very last minutes and seconds of of his life, he was stripped of all that he even possessed, his very own clothes. He was generous with everything he had, even to the point of giving his own life generously away. And this kind of life is what he promises to those who follow him. Many of Jesus' followers were and are poor, and many were persecuted and even killed for their faith. So following Jesus means that you probably won't be as wealthy as you can be in this life because the goal of your life won't be to gather as much wealth as you can. The goal of your life ought to be to follow Jesus, generously giving some of your wealth away, especially to those in need. So Jesus' promise doesn't mean that you'll have earthly wealth in this life, but Jesus' promise does mean that you'll have eternal and infinite wealth in the life to come. In the new heavens and new earth, even the poorest on this side of life will be 10 trillion times richer than all the richest people and their net worth combined. You'll have more treasure, more worth, more wealth than you can possibly imagine. The best things money can buy on this side of life will feel like trash compared to the treasure that we have in heaven. In the new heavens and new earth, Jesus promises that you'll possess authority more powerful than any earthly position, that you'll receive a resurrected body, completely healthy, whole, and beautiful, that, there will be, uh, that you'll have perfect family with all the followers of Jesus, and that there will be no more racial violence, no systemic injustice, no more sickness or suffering or sin, and no more death. Most importantly, you'll live together with your Savior who looks at you and loves you. And knowing that we have a God who loves you and promises to lavish you like that fills you with deeper joy and greater satisfaction than any amount of wealth can give. So what? Many of us in here are well off and perhaps even wealthy. Thank God for the blessings that God has given us uh, in terms of our earthly riches, but beware of worshiping our wealth. Instead, worship with your wealth. Live generously, especially to those in need, knowing that God has been infinitely generous to you by graciously saving you and promising you the gift of everlasting wealth and eternal life. Let's pray. God, you lavish us with your generous love. Help us to believe and experience and respond to your love for us by reflecting it to those around us. Our hope and prayer is that Centerville would say how well Christ Central loved and generously gave to this city so that Jesus, you would receive honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.